God bless each one of you for being here today. If you have your Bibles, will you join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 14? We're going to pick up where we left off last week. And God really, he is moving in such a mighty way. Uh, I want to thank you for you, the cards, the, the, the nice notes, the nice emails, the encouragement that you're giving your pastor as I'm preaching through this corrective passage uh, your words and encouragement and neck hugs and uh, really edifying. That's what the Bible says church ought to be. Ought to be edifying, building up one another. And I'm grateful, grateful for that. Uh, totally um, opposite of this next story that I'm going to tell you is a sweet little lady. She was, she'd fix a cup of coffee every morning, go out on her front porch and sit down here in a little rocking chair and just sit there and rock and sip on her coffee and just uh, enjoy the morning. She would pray out loud. She would say, thank you, Lord, for the day. It's such a wonderful day. We're grateful for the day. I'm grateful for the day. And just be praising God and worshiping God. Every morning she had this routine, she would do it. The only problem, DeWitt, is that there was a neighbor across the street who was an atheist, didn't believe in God. And this atheist that lived across the street would oftentimes yell at her and say, ma'am, you're crazy. God's not real. I don't know why you're praying like that. That's foolish. You're insane. It never stopped the lady. She'd go out there every day. She'd sit in a rocking chair, sip her coffee, and praise God. One day she got up and she went out and she didn't have any food left. So she was praying to God after she had praised him. She said, God, she said, would you please get me some groceries? Uh, I'm depending upon you for your goodness. And finally, the atheist said, I got her. So he went to the grocery store and bought her some groceries and sacked it up and went back to her house. The next morning came and sat it right there on her front step right by the door. The next morning when she opened the door, there was that sack of groceries. She lifted her hands up and she said, oh, thank you, Lord, for bringing me these groceries. I'm so thankful for the groceries. And about that time from across the street, the man said, see, I told you you're crazy. I bought those groceries. God didn't give you those groceries. I bought those groceries uh, for you. To which the little lady lifted up her hand. She said, Lord, not only did you give me groceries, but you made the devil pay for it too. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're going to pick up in verse number 20. Now, don't forget what Paul said last week. Last week, Paul was talking about when we come to worship service, we worship in the Spirit but we also worship in our mind. He said, I don't disengage my mind when I'm worshiping. Yes, we worship God and we lift holy hands and we praise the Lord and we bless the Lord. He says, but we stay in speaking English or in this case, uh, in speaking Greek or the language of that common place there in Corinth. He says, we're not practicing the gibberish that the Oracle of Delphi is teaching in this area. We are going to speak regular language, not gibberish. Remember, that's what he said in the closing part last week in verses 16 uh, through 19. And he said this. He even went a step further and said, How can the church say amen if they don't understand what you're saying? Remember that. And so he says, uh, I thank God more than anything. I speak more languages than any of you because I'm able to communicate in such a way that's edifying to the body of Christ because clearly there's a purpose and a procedure that occurs when it comes 
to church and when it comes to worship. And he's going to be making his way to talk about that more. But here we find ourselves picking back up in verse number 20 of chapter 14. So if you're able to stand, would you please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word as Paul once again is going to give us part three, is what I'm calling this, of correcting a tangled tongue. Uh, If I had a subtitle for this, it would just simply be this. Tongues and the early evangelism. Tongues and early evangelism. Because that's what it was all about. Look at verse 20 as we march our way through down to verse 25. He says, Brethren, be not children in understanding. Howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. In the law it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people, and yet for all that will they not hear me, saith the Lord. Wherefore, tongues are a sign not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. If therefore the whole church be come together into one place, and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned and unbelievers... Will they not say, ye are mad? Let me just say something right here parenthetically. Paul's saying when brand new born again children of God come into church, into your services, and when unbelievers, people that don't know Jesus Christ come into your service, and they hear you speaking that gibberish, he said they walk away saying, they crazy. That's what he says right there. It's in the text. Verse 24. But... If all prophecy, now let me stop and say something parenthetically right there. Remember, prophecy is the proclamation of the gospel. Prophecy is always revealing what was at one time that was hidden. And the one thing that was hidden was Jesus. Jesus was hidden in the Old Testament. He is exposed in the New Testament as the Messiah. So he's talking about the gospel, the only way of salvation. He goes on uh, to say, if you would here uh, in the text. He says, but if all prophecy... And there come in one that believeth not, and one unlearned. He is convinced of all. He is judged of all. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. You may be seated for prayer. Father, would you help my, uh, my throat and my voice uh, this morning? Uh, <clears throat> Help me, Lord Jesus, uh, the best that I know how I yield myself to you, only to be used as your mouthpiece to preach your word. Love you, and I thank you, Father, for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul's point in this chapter is that uh, the worship in the church must be on purpose, and it must be productive. He's already stated on several occasions that one of the primary things that we're doing here today is edifying each other. We're building each other up. We're lifting each other up. We're encouraging each other in the faith. Just like I said a few minutes ago, you greatly encourage me as I'm preaching through this uh, wonderful uh, letter that that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. It's a hard letter because it's a corrective letter. Paul's correcting something that's awfully wrong. Remember, the Corinthian church was allowing culture to influence them instead of them influencing the culture. In the church of Jesus Christ in the 21st century, we, we have the danger of falling for that very thing. We, as Maysville Baptist Church, cannot let the culture, if you will, 
influence us. We've got to influence the culture. So could you give us an illustration about that? Sure I can. The culture can redefine marriage all it wants, but when it comes to the Word of God, it is secure, it's solid, it's firm. Not being, not being ugly about it, just being truthful. The Word of God said that a marriage is between a man and a woman. It's what the Bible says. And listen, as we're growing in grace, this becomes a particularly hot topic as we, we travel down through the years and through generations. But that does not negate the fact that we put ourselves up under the Word of God and let the Word of God rain down on us and change us. Listen, it's not our responsibility to change the Word of God. It's the responsibility of the Word of God to change us. Uh, the Bible tells us in the, in the book of Peter, we have a more sure word of prophecy. That is, we don't need any new ramas. We don't need any new revelations. We, we don't need any, anything new. It's the whole thing. It's been given to us. We've got a more sure word of prophecy. And the prophecy that God has given us is that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, went to Calvary's cross. And as we're going to celebrate in two weeks, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he rose up from the dead. We serve a living Savior. He's not dead. He's alive. And so in regards to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, what we're finding here is, is Paul is just simply saying, look, when it comes to church, there's a proper procedure and there's a purpose for why you come together. One is to encourage one another and to lift each other up to edify the body of Jesus Christ. And then the second thing is that we come to church to see somebody get saved. We see somebody get saved. Now, we're the church mobile. While every sermon you hear from this pulpit, from this pastor, from your pastor, as I'm preaching through the Word of God, it will always tie into the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we will always give an invitation as long as I'm pastor here. And so in that respect, we want to see people, and not just see people. Watch this now. We expect people to be saved. I preached two times now and I've expected somebody to get saved in every service had one get saved last service but in regards to that the bottom line is simply this we expect God to move in a mighty powerful way I'm expecting somebody to give their heart and life to Jesus Christ and not watch this not just for evangelism but also for spiritual growth there are some here today some here who were you were closer to Christ than you are now I don't know what's happened uh, maybe you stopped submitting yourself to the Word of God, but something happened in your life, and you're not as close to the Lord as you were. And here you are. You've come into the church, and you're here, and you're sitting. And look, it's not just some ecclesiastical duty. It's just not something you do just to please God. God listen to me, friend. Please hear me. God's got a personal Word just for you, and it comes from the Word of God. And so Paul is simply stating this. There's a purpose to church. There's a procedure when it comes to church. And, and tying this into this tongues discussion that Paul is having with the church at Corinth, the bottom line is simply this. When you go back to Acts, the whole purpose for the tongues that God had given those apostles, that was the first uh, evangelistic method in the Word of God. People were coming to Jesus Christ because of that. Now in Corinth, they're turning away from Jesus because of that. So we don't want any of that. That's weird. Y'all were crazy. They don't want any part of that. They don't understand. Here's the difference between the, 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 the gift of tongues in the book of Acts and the gift of tongues in, in Corinth. 
in the gift, the gift in Acts, people understood what was being said. In Corinth, nobody understood except for the person that was speaking. And so Paul says, listen, when it comes down to this uh, church and assembly and you guys being together and the gift of tongues, he says, I want to give you three things I want you to remember. Three things I want you to remember in regards to the purpose and the plan of the church. Number one, the first thing he gives is a New Testament idea. A New Testament idea. In verse number 20, Paul says, here's an idea that come from God that we need to practice as a church. Notice what he says. Brothers and sisters, that's what the term brethren means. If you have your pen, pencil, lipstick, or mascara, I would underline that word. Brethren, and then I'd underline, be not children under, without understanding, or be not children in understanding. And then what I would do is I would skip down to the latter part of that verse 20 where it says, but in understanding be ye men. I'd underline that too. Why? Because that is all one simple state, statement. Now, what Paul's going to do is he's going to emphasize that middle part by sandwiching it in the middle of this statement. Paul is saying, be not children in understanding, but in understanding be men. Now, the term understanding means your mind. And so what Paul is saying here, there's two, two points that I want to make here in regards to what Paul is saying. Paul says, first of all, in regards to this New Testament idea, you need to be balanced in your thinking. Have balanced thinking. That's what he's talking about there. He says, as a born-again child of God, we need to have a balanced way of thinking. And that way of thinking is the way of maturity. We need to be mature believers. We must be children in, in regard, uh, we must never be children in regard to our comprehension. Brethren, be not children in understanding. Our understanding, our thinking, the, the mind of God. We ought to be growing up in the maturity of God. We ought not to be uh, just walking, walking around like Christian zombies. Not engaging our mind. But we need to have our mind engaged in the Word of God. In our thinking, the Bible many times, you can write these verses down. Jude 1.20, Ephesians 4.15, Hebrews 6.1, uh, 2 Peter 1.5. All of these verses give us wonderful illustrations of how we grow up in Jesus Christ. You can look up the term grow up and see how many times it's used in the Word of God. A lot of times that we get saved and uh, we'll get out of church or get out of Sunday school and we don't grow up. We're always just a child in our head when it comes to Christian maturity. I can't tell you a countless number of times. I've sat in my office with men and women, husbands and wives, and the wife would confess, my, uh, I'm more spiritually mature than my husband. Or the husband might say, my wife's more spiritually mature than I am. Paul says, that ought not to be so. You ought to be mature in your thinking. And the reason why you're not mature in your thinking is because you have allowed that silly excuse. I'm a man. I don't like to read. I don't like to read. I, I just don't like to read. There ain't nobody in this place that hates reading more than me. So you can't hate reading. You're a preacher. No, really, the bottom line is simply this. In regards to reading, you've got to dis discipline yourself to read. And in disciplining yourself to read, you in, engage in what you're reading. And the, what you're reading will, watch this, influence you. And Paul is saying, don't be a child in your thinking. So he involves our thinking. But watch this. He also challenges us with an idea that involves our actions. 
Let's look at that middle part now. He says, how be it in malice be ye children. He's speaking about our actions. He says, in malice, this is Paul's way of saying, as far as wrongdoing is concerned, as far as sin goes, we are to remain as innocent as little children. You ever watch children play innocently? Uh, we had a little cookout at my house yesterday, and we had some uh, friends of ours over, and they had little children. These little children were, man, they were running around, just innocent little children, running, running around, just playing and having a good time, and just enjoying uh, the outside. Uh, took them up to see the goats. Man, they ran them goats for 15 minutes. I've never seen my goats so tired. I mean, they were <laughs> little, little tongue hanging. <laughs> they were exhausted, uh, them kids, just innocently just running them around and around and around and around. It was great. Paul says that we need to be innocent in our actions. You ought to be like little children. A lot of time we're mischievous in our actions. That's the problem with children. They grow up. And they grow up and they get mischievous. Isn't it amazing how, how beautiful and innocent little children can be at one minute and the next minute they can just be so filled full of malice? Like yesterday, those sweet kids that were running around, I thought were precious, chasing them little, them little uh, 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 goats, got in my rock garden and started throwing rocks in my grass. I said, hey, don't throw the rocks in the grass. And so they say, okay. And I watch them out of the corner of my eye. As soon as they didn't think I was looking, they were going, throwing them out there. Uh, he says, don't do that. Be innocent in your actions. Be like a little child. As a matter of fact, this is not something that's uncommon in Scripture. The Bible says there's a lot of things that we need to be like little children in. You ought to be like a little child when you come to Jesus. Luke chapter 18, verse 17, the Bible says this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever shall, shall not receive the, you shall not receive the kingdom of God as, unless you come as a little child, you'll no wise enter therein. When you come to Jesus, you come as a child. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us as far as children is concerned, such as the kingdom of heaven, Luke chapter 18, verse 19. But Jesus called unto him and said, Suffer the little children to come to me, and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. Also, the Bible says that when you first come to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, not only do you come as a child, but you're nourished as a child. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2, 2, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. So you see, in the life of a born-again child of God, a disciple of Jesus Christ, there is a balanced life, and this balanced life is what Paul, is what I've entitled, a New Testament idea that we're balanced in our thinking and we're balanced in our actions. Actions. On one side, we have the thinking that is mature, and on the other side, we are innocent as little children. Now, here's the biggest question of all. How in the world do you do that? How do you, as a born-again child of God, have mature thinking and yet be innocent as a child? The only way to do that is to submit yourself to the Word of God. You must submit yourself daily to the Word of God. The Word of God is the nursery of for little children. And if you're a little child, you are to be in God's nursery. And this is God's nursery. Dear friend, if you have God's nursery this morning, just lift it up real high and encourage you, Pastor. Look at all the nurseries we have in here. Everybody's in the nursery today. Everybody get in the nursery. Why, why is it important to be in God's nursery? Let me tell you why, DeWitt. Because we learn the greatest lessons of our life in the nursery. We didn't learn the greatest lessons of life in the university. 
No, we learn the greatest lessons of life in the nursery. You go out there today and go down and, and look in the nursery and see what those little children are learning. In the nursery, it's in the nursery where we learn how to play fair. It's in the nursery where we learn how not to hit others. It's in the nursery that we learn to put things back where we found them. It's in the nursery where we learn to clean up our mess. I'm thinking right now, I need to put some more of my kids back in the nursery. It's in the nursery where we must never, we learn, we, we don't take things that aren't ours. It's in the nursery where we've learned to say, I'm sorry. It's in the nursery where we learn to hold hands and bow our heads and pray. Dear friend, it's the nursery where you learn the greatest things in life, not the university. And so if you want to learn about the great things in life, you've got to get in the nursery of the Word of God. Paul says in regards to our attitudes, if you want to have a balanced attitude, if you want to have the, a mind of maturity, and you want to have actions that are innocent as a little child, then you've got to submit yourself to the Word of God. He says, brethren, be not children in understanding. Howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. Act like you are somebody. Act like you know something, like you're a grown-up. Number two, the second thing Paul does is he shifts gears and moves from a New Testament idea to an Old Testament incident. Paul says, let me tell you a little story about tongues. And Paul says these words in verse number 21. He says, in the law it is written, with men of other tongues and, and other lips will I speak unto this people, and yet for all that will they not hear me, saith the Lord. Paul gives us insight into an Old Testament verse. It's found over in Isaiah chapter 28. If you wanted to read this verse, you'd have to look in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 11 and 12. Paul quotes it. Now, when Paul does this, he is trying to give the church at Corinth an illustration. He says, let me illustrate to you about this whole thing about tongues. And he does so by quoting Isaiah. Now, there are four things in particular I want you to notice about this quote. Number one, the first thing I want you to notice is the location. Notice where Paul says it's located. Paul says, in the law it is written. Now, wait a minute. If you're analytical and you're a Bible scholar and you read that, you say, uh-uh, Paul, you're wrong. Isaiah's not in the law. The law is the Torah. The Torah is the first five books of the Bible. And in the Torah, you've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. No, Isaiah's way over here somewhere. No, Paul, you're wrong. No, 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 no. Don't you correct the Bible. You let the Bible correct you. Paul's right. What Paul is saying here is when God was speaking to the children of Israel, he used the prophets to communicate his law. And as God spoke through those prophets, it was the law, and God spoke in such a way that they could understand. So he's speaking of truth here. It is in the law that it is written. It is in the law of Isaiah. Isaiah spoke the laws of God to the children of God. And in speaking those laws, he takes us to the next one. He talks about the language. Not only do you see the location, you see the language. Look at what he says about the language. He says, with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people. God, again, had continually spoke to his chosen people, Israel, in the Old Testament. And it's important to understand this is a first-generation church, first-generation Christians. Paul's got them looking back at the children of Israel who God loves. God loves the church. He's making a correlation here. He's not saying the church is Israel. Now, don't get that impression. That's not what he's saying. 
but he's giving an illustration in regards to this area of tongues. He says, I spoke to the prophets, God. God says, I spoke through those prophets. I love them. God says, I rescued them out of slavery. I sent these prophets. They rebelled against the prophets of God. They ignored their message. They despised their message. They mistreated the prophets. He says, I got tired of listening to it. And so what did God do? God sent the Babylonians into Judah to take over. And he says, they're, going to be, they're not going to speak your language. And you're going to learn their language. This unknown language that you have, you're going to learn it. They're going to teach you. It's going to be, watch this, a curse to you. You see, this was a curse to them. And he says, "What? this is a sign that I'm giving you. It is a sign of your disobedience. Watch this. Listen to just how... Uh, God thought, what God thought about the way his people regarded the messengers of God in his word. 2 Chronicles 36. 2 Chronicles 36, 16 says this, But they mocked the messengers of God and despised his words and misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against him and his people till there was no remedy. Well, what a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. He says, man, you're not listening to the word of God. You're not listening to the prophet. You're not listening to the law that God is speaking to you. I'm going to, to send an unknown tongue to you. It's going to be a curse to you. That's the sign that's going to happen. And then we see, number three, the third thing, the leaving. He says, and yet, notice the text, and yet for all that will they not hear me. So they still didn't hear me. The tongues was a sign of judgment and condemnation upon them. And then watch what Paul does here. Paul says in verse 22, in like manner. Notice what he says in verse 22. Wherefore, in like manner, tongues are for a sign. Now, he is going to develop that statement. He said it was a sign of a curse in the Old Testament, but, we, but the true tongues was given in the book of Acts as a sign, not as a curse. Look at what he says. Not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. It was a sign so lost people could come to Jesus. Why? Because they heard in their language. They understood in their language. He says, how, remember the story there in the book of Acts. How are we understanding? These are ignorant and unlearned men. What happened? They had the gift of tongues. Look at what the scripture says. He goes on to say, he says, uh, there in the text, he says, Wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that, that do not believe. But prophesying, now let's stop right there because some might understand prophesying. Remember what prophecy is. Prophesying is taking what was once concealed and now it was revealed. In the Old Testament it's concealed, the New Testament's revealed. What was it that was concealed in the Old Testament? Who the Messiah was. Who is it the New Testament reveals? Who the Messiah is. It's all about Jesus. So he says here in the text, he says, but he, he, he goes on to say, uh, for a sign, verse 22. But, uh, believe not, but prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. 
So what he's saying here, and let's use our church as an illustration, Paul, Paul is saying is, if your preacher's doing what he ought to be doing, he's communicating the truth of God in such a way that you understand it, you learn from it, you're encouraged by it, and you're challenged to make a decision for it. It's not just for the lost, but it's also for the saved. May God help us today that the lost might be saved and the saved might be encouraged. And everybody be challenged from the Word of God. So he, he says that right there. That, that's, that, that's where many times you'll hear me pray that. You, you, and this is where I got it from. You'll hear me say, Lord, uh, I pray that you would encourage the saints of God. I pray that you would challenge everyone here. And if there's anybody lost, I pray that they'd come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. This is what Paul is talking about here. And then watch this. He, he goes on. He's uh, giving the lesson here in verse 22. The lesson is just simply this. The lesson in verse 22 is that tongues were a sign, not... Uh, to them that believe, but them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not them that believe not, but for them which believe. The lesson here is to remind us that the whole purpose why we're here is so that lost people can be saved and that saved people can grow up in their faith. Uh, Paul is saying here in this text that the gibberish that was going on in the church, the unknown tongues, the unknown language that only they could interpret that was going on. He says, that's not edifying the church and nobody's getting saved. As a matter of fact, he wants you to notice what he moves to next. He moves off of this Old Testament incident and then he's going to talk about a biblical invitation. A biblical invitation. Verses 23 through 25. He shifts gears a little bit and he says, here's a biblical invitation. Here's, here's what the church ought to be doing. Uh, Paul teaches here that the church at Corinth ought to be conducting their services in such a way that they're expecting guests to come in. And these guests that come in are going to fall into two different categories. He says you, you, you want to make sure that when your guests come in, guests that you're here, you're here, and I'm grateful that you're here, you're going to fall into one of these two categories. Uh, had a sweet couple join the church last hour, did we not? They're not guests anymore. Now they're members. We're grateful for that. So uh, we're thankful that God moved in their life. They understood the scriptures. They understood what's been being taught here. And they said, man, we want to be a part of a Bible-believing church. And we give a biblical invitation, and they came. So, so watch this. Notice what Paul does here. He's going, to, he's going to do two things. Number one, he's going to do this. He's going to say, expect observers to come into your church service. Some of you here, you're coming and you're observing. Your first time guest, second time guest. You know, this is the second time you go, man, is that, is that guy real? I mean, does he preach like that every week? Is he really that passionate about the Word of God? The answer to that is yes, by the way. I am very passionate. So he says, expect people to come to the service. Notice what he says there in verse 23. If therefore the whole church be come together into one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those that are unlearned and un or unbelievers. Here are the two people that come to the church today. Unlearned. Now that doesn't mean that they're stupid. That's not what the term means. Unlearned means that you're a child of God. You're saved. But you, you listen, you don't know much about exposition. You don't know much about growing up in faith. You just got saved. You just got saved. And here you are. You're in church. You're unlearned in the things of the Word of God. That's the first group. And then number two, he says there are others that come into your church that are unbelievers. The word unbelievers literally means without faith. 
So there are some here today that are, that are coming. You're not an observer. I mean, you're an observer, but you, you, you've never trusted Christ. This is just, you're not really sure about this whole thing. You're curious, but you've never taken a step of faith. You believe that there's a God. You're just not sure about the rest. No faith. And so Paul says, when they come to your service, you got the, you got the illustration now. But then look at what he says. Paul says in the latter part. He says, they come into your service, and they hear you speaking in the gibberish. There, verse 23, let's read the whole thing for context. If therefore the whole church be come together in one place, and all speak with tongues. That is the, that is the term gibberish. You're gibberishing, and nobody understands what you're saying. And there comes one that is unlearned, or unbelievers. Will they not say that you're mad? The word mad there means insane. It means crazy. So they, they come in and they hear this and they're like, what is going on? We don't understand anything. There's no organization. It's just, it's chaotic. It's a mess. They're crazy. And they leave. They're, cra- they're crazy. And, and listen, by the way, there's a lot of churches doing a lot of crazy things today. At Corinth was Corinth was a crazy place anyway. And Paul says, I don't want the church to look anything like temple worship. I want it to be organized. I, I would like to see when people come in, they, they hear the message of God. There's interpreters. He's going to give, he's going to continue next week. He's going to talk about how here's the structure that needs to happen. If somebody, if you've got different languages in the church and those different languages have questions and there needs to be a dialogue and there needs to be something going on, there needs to be two or three witnesses. He's going to deal with all of that. But in regards to the gibberish that was taking place at Corinth, he said, that's a no-no. Don't do it. Don't do that, he says. Why? He says, because there are others that are coming in. There are guests. There are expect observers to come in. And watch this. What he's saying is, you're either going to draw them to Christ, or you're going to push them away from Christ. All right, that's number one. Here's the last part, and I'm going to close. Number two. The second thing he says there in the text is to teach outsiders. Teach outsiders. Now remember, this is a corrective passage. Paul speaking to Corinth. All around Corinth, there was all kind of outsiders. They were, remember, Corinth was a uh, metropolis. People were passing through the city. They were on their way to other destinations. A lot of outsiders. It was uh, very difficult to, to be uh, and live and survive in Corinth. As a matter of fact, there was a name given to people that did so. If you came to Corinth and you started acting like Corinthians, they say you were Corinthianized. It was not a positive term either, by the way. It was a very negative, demeaning term. Uh, it was a bad word. It was uh, terrible, and people did not want to be called a Corinthian because of the way they acted. Paul says there are outsiders all around us. Dear friend, there are outsiders all around us here at Maysville. And they're listening, and they're watching, and they're seeing us. Some of you are watching online this morning. May I say this? I hope and pray that if you're watching online, you'll let us know that you're watching. And you're just say hi to us. We're glad that you're here. We're delighted that you're watching this message. But there are outsiders all around us. And Paul simply says this, but if all prophesy, if every one of us in here 
When we go to Sunday school, we're expounding the Word of God. When we come to preaching, we're expounding the Word of God. When we're outside in the vestibule, we're expounding the Word of God or talking about the Word of God. We're speaking in English where everybody could understand. And we're talking about the goodness and the love of God. He says, when you do that, when you do that, when you come to a preaching service and you hear the message of God, he says, there's going to be some things that will happen. What do you mean? Look, he says it right here in the text. Several things that happen in a preaching service. Number one, he says the first thing that happens is that this individual gets convicted of their sin. Look at what he says there in the text. He tells us in the, in the Word of God, he is convinced of all. The word convinced there is where we get our English word conviction. He says they're convicted in their hearts about their sinfulness before the Lord. When the Word of God is preached... And people can understand it. And it enters into the ear gates. And it settles down into the heart gates. And God said in the word of God. He he used Solomon to say it. God has put a God-shaped vacuum in your heart. He's put eternity in your heart. This is not the end. When you die, you are going to go somewhere. You will spend an eternity somewhere. Search your heart. You know it's true. The Bible says God put it in there. And he says, when that is preached, conviction begins to take place. And then notice what happens next. Because he is judged of all. You see it there in the text? That is, his character defects begin to come through. And he sees that he needs to be examined in an open light. He begins to realize, oh, wow, wait a minute. He's right. I am going to die. There is a brevity of life. I'm not going to to, to just live here forever. I'm going somewhere else. Where am I going to go? There's only two places you go when you die. You either go to heaven or you go to hell. And they're real places. And the Bible is very clear. He says your, your heart begins to judge you. And this conviction begins to overwhelm you. And then what happens? Look at what the scripture says. It's right here. It's in the word of God. It says the secrets of his heart are made manifest. Then all of a sudden the heart explodes in a realization that you can't save yourself. You can't get to heaven by joining a church. You can't get to heaven by being baptized. You can't get to heaven by going through some confirmation class. You can't go to heaven by doing sacraments. The only way to get to heaven is by Jesus. He's the only way. If you're going to get to heaven, you're going to go by the way of the cross. Paul says, this happens The Spirit of God moves when the gospel is preached. And then watch what happens next. You see that there? He says, falling down on his face, he'll worship God. He'll say, I realize I'm lost and dying and on my way to hell, and I will give my heart to Jesus Christ, and they get saved. And then watch this. Here's the line. I love this part. This is my favorite verse in the text. He will report that God is in you of a truth. When he leaves the church, he'll say, I got saved today. God is in that place. God is in that place. But I'm going to tell you what right now. God is in this place right here. The Spirit of God is moving. It's been moving all day long. The Spirit of God's moving before I even got here. 
The Spirit of God is moving in this very moment right now. This is for the life of me. I can't figure out. I cannot figure out for the life of me why in the world we would, want to, we would stop. Why would we stop giving gospel invitations? When Paul says when you expound the Word of God and you teach the Word of God and you give somebody an opportunity, somebody gets saved. Somebody gets right with God. Dear friend, you might be here today and maybe you're lost. Today's the day of your salvation. You can get saved today. Maybe you're here and away from God. Maybe there's been a time in your life when you were closer to the Lord than you once were. Dear friend, listen. Today you can come back to Jesus. This is a powerful, powerful argument for the preaching of expository style preaching. He says, when it's done, when it's done, there'll be a report that goes out that God is in you, and it's a truth. You know, here's the bottom line with this. And I'm going to close up shop here. Here's the bottom line. There's a lot of churches that look alive today, but they're dead. They're doing a lot of things. I mean, they got churches open. You can come in, but they're dead. They're dead inside. Why? Ain't no amen. If some, bless God, there's some church. If you, if you said amen, somebody would die on the front row. I mean, they'd just fall out on the floor dead. They had to call EMT if you spoke back in church. And then, and then there are those preachers out there. I'm telling you what, they're so sissified. They got lace on their underwear. I'm talking about they are pansies. I am sick of the pansy preachers out there today. Amen. Man, just get a backbone. It's, well, I'm just going to tell you, everything's all right. I'm okay. You're okay. This is your best life now. Everything's going to be fine. Jesus said everything is not fine. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus told us that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man will enter into heaven unless they come through Jesus Christ. The Bible says that we are desperately wicked. The heart is wicked. And who can know it other than God? God who knows the heart is wicked. You know your very heart is wicked. And if you died in your sins, you'd split hell wide open. So Paul says this. When the gospel's preached and somebody gets saved, somebody gives their heart to Jesus, the angels rejoice. That's what the scripture says. The angels rejoice. And the person that got saved leaves that place and reports on it. I'll never forget the day I got saved. Man, 14 years old, gave my heart to Jesus. I left the worship. And as I left the worship, I had to tell somebody, man, I got saved in that place. I got saved in that worship service. I gave my heart to Jesus. Dear friend, how many of you remember where you at when you got saved? Just testify just for a moment. And you remember that? Bless God, you ever been back to that place? A lot of times we need to pause and get back. We need to go back. What do you mean, Pastor? I mean, we live in a sin-sick world. It's easy to, to get out of your daily devotion. It's easy to get out of these things. Dear friend, listen to me very carefully. The Bible says, according to the Word of God, 1 John 5, 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. According to the Bible, the Word of God, this book right here, the living Word of God, says you can know that when you die, you're going to go to heaven. But here, here's the problem with most of us. 
Bless God, we want to get saved and just get the fire insurance. And we're, listen, we are so immature in our thinking. That's opposite of what Paul said, by the way. And we are so masculine, or we are so mature in evil. Opposite of what Paul said. Paul said, here's your problem, church. The problem with you is just simply this. You are out of balance. And the way that you get back in balance is you've got to come back to Jesus. Isn't that what, that's what, uh, that's what God told John in the book of Revelation when he talked to the church at Sardis. He said, look, you look good on the outside, but there's something wrong on the inside. Could I, could I ask us to do an examination this morning? You look, I'm going to testify, you, you look good on the outside. I mean, y'all look good. Some better than others. But y'all look good. But what about in here? When's the last time you spent time alone with God? When's the last time you obeyed the Lord in your witness? Can, can I ask you this? Why did you get out of Sunday school? How about this one? Are you saved? Can I ask it this way? Do you know for sure you're going to heaven when you die? Man, I could preach the Bible all day long. But if I failed to give you an opportunity to get right with God, really, what kind of preacher am I? I had uh, somebody testify just here recently. It hadn't even been 24 hours. I said, you know what, Pastor, I've, I've, I've realized. Those preachers that, that really won't share the gospel, they're sending people to hell. That's true. If you go to hell, you're going to climb over my body. Because I'm going to stand right here and say, yeah, you don't need to go to hell. You don't have to go to hell. You can come to Jesus today. You can get saved today. You can give your heart to Christ. In fact, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, today is the day of salvation. Today is your day. Today's the day. Today's the day you kick the devil in the teeth. And today you give your heart to Jesus Christ. And you stand up. Listen, you leave this place more than a conqueror. And as you leave, you say, God's in that place. Let's bow for prayer. Maybe you're here today and maybe you've never been saved. You've never trusted Christ. Dear friend, would you realize this? Number one, that you're a sinner. You're a sinner. You can't save yourself. Number two, Jesus provided the sacrifice for your sins. Jesus provided the sacrifice for your sins. Will you hear me? Please listen to me with your heart. He provided the sacrifice for your sins. Jesus died in your place. In two weeks, we're going to celebrate the resurrection. Resurrection Sunday. You see, God's not dead. He's alive. And He's living that whosoever will can be saved. Say, I want to be saved, preacher. How, how do I do that? The Bible says this in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead... Thou shalt be saved. You can be saved today by confessing that Jesus Christ is Savior, is the Messiah, and by faith.
by faith. That's what believe in your heart means. By faith, receiving. How might I do that, preacher? That might be your question. Right now, right where you're sitting today, from your heart to God's heart, would you say something like this to the Lord? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe you are the Messiah. This morning, I ask you to save my soul. I repent of my sin, and I trust you as my Savior. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, maybe you're here today and maybe you prayed that. You meant it with all your heart. I don't care if you called it a recommitment, a fresh commitment, a new commitment. But you prayed and you asked Jesus to save you. You asked Jesus to forgive you. You did that today. The Bible says you're not ashamed of it. I'm not going to embarrass you. I want to welcome you to the kingdom of God as a brother and sister. If you did that today, would you just slip your hand up real high and say, that's me, I'm not afraid to say it. Today I got saved. Today I know I received Christ as my Savior. Just lift it up real high. Is there one? Just real high. Say, I did that today, preacher. I gave my heart to Christ. Thank you. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, I'm saved. But there was a time in my life when I'm closer to the Lord than I am right now. There's a time in my life when I was closer to the Lord than I am today. Will you pray for me? I do want to pray for you, friend. You're in a good place, a safe place. This is your home church. I want to challenge you today. Why don't you get right with the Lord? His presence is here. If you're here today and say, Pastor, will you include me in that prayer? I won't call you by name, but I do want to pray for you. If that's your desire, would you just slip your hand up and then down? You don't have to keep it up. Just up and down. God bless you. Thank you all over. God bless you. Thank you. God sees you. He sees your hand. He sees your heart. God bless you. Thank you. Blessings on you. Can I challenge you to do this? If you raised your hand, first step to new beginnings is doing something different. I'm going to pray for you, and here's my prayer. My prayer is that you'd make a fresh commitment today to the Lord. Would you do that? Father, thank you for the hands that were raised. More importantly, I, I pray for hearts. Help them, Lord, to get closer to you. Help them, Lord Jesus, to understand what forgiveness is all about. Grace, mercy love abundant life oh God would you move in a mighty way Lord I pray for this invitation Lord there's some here today that want to join our church I pray for them I ask you God that you'd help those that need to surrender for baptism Lord uh, it's hard for some to obey the Lord because they never obeyed in believers baptism they never did that Lord, I pray for them. I pray in the name of Jesus that they'd get right with you. Lord, whatever the need today, I pray you'd meet it in accordance with your will. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.